When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking real money. Hi, welcome to Talking Real Money. I'm Tom Cock, and I've got a special guest. You know, we don't spend much time on the program talking about the economy, the trends, the things that maybe you should pay attention to. And today we have a very special guest who does all this, has done it for 30 plus years. He's a uh, Duke educated PhD economist and Really glad to have Dr. Bill Connerly join us here on Talking Real Money. Doctor, thank you for taking time to do that. Tom, great to chat with you. It has been a few years, and for full disclosure, uh, you and I used to chat when I had the TV show. Uh, uh, Bill is located in the Northwest, as am I, and he used to come up very kindly to Seattle and chat it up, even though he lives in Oregon. So thank you for all those, too. But I think the operative question right now is, and boy, it is on the front page of the Wall Street Journal basically every day, is are we headed for the big R? I'm not talking about Rainier beer here. I'm talking about <laughs> recession. Are we going to have a recession in 2023? I, I think I read your your graph. It said maybe not, but you also admitted that many of your colleagues might disagree with you. Yes, I think that we are headed for a recession. And the only uh, question in my mind, is it starting in late 2023 this year or early 2024? I think that the beginning of the official recession is going to be delayed from what many people are expecting. But with all of the Fed tightening that's happened, I think that it's inevitable we'll have a recession. The exact timing of the start is the issue in question. And I think a lot of the debate has been sort of what that will mean in terms of various industries, right? I mean, we're seeing this somewhat unprecedented, although you have to go back many years to see technology lay off the number of people that they have. Uh, but there's parts of the economy that are still doing pretty well, right? Manufacturing, some other things that are still percolating along. Real estate's having a tough time. So it might not drag everybody down with it, but certainly a large part of the economy. That's what you're saying? Yeah, that's a very important part. Many people are like, oh, there's going to be a recession. I'll be clobbered. If you are a mortgage broker, you've already been clobbered. <laughs> Real estate uh, salespeople um, and uh, title insurance people, they've already been clobbered. And they'll probably bounce back before the rest of the economy. Most of manufacturing is doing well. So I encourage people to think, gee, is my company, and mostly I deal with companies rather than in individual investors. Uh, what I encourage people to think about is, am I in a very interest sensitive sector? Because like single family housing is the most interest sensitive sector of the economy that is already down. Other interest sensitive sectors like non-residential construction, business capital spending, they are a little more gradual in their impact. And then after the interest-sensitive sectors, we'll have the ripple effects from people having lost jobs in those interest-sensitive sectors, 
uh, cutting back on spending, and then you get broad economy-wide effects. And I think those broad economy-wide effects are going to be delayed this cycle relative to what usually happens. That'll be the interesting part. But it all revolves around, of course, the fact that the Federal Reserve has hiked rates so dramatically in such a short period of time here. And it's the anticipation of what will be next. Now, there's many people that still, I think, short-sightedly still believe that rates will come, the Fed funds rate will come back down to like 2% later this year, which would be a dramatic up and then back down. Are you making any sort of forecast or projection about where where that rate would be at the end of 2023? Yeah, I think that the Fed is going to raise interest rates uh, some more. Uh, the short-term interest rates that they manipulate, I think they're probably going up a full percentage point, but at least a half a percentage point. And then they're going to level off until sometime in 2024. At that point, they'll see interest rate, they'll decide to, to cut rates, maybe middle of 2024. But what a lot of folks uh, in their personal life are thinking about is mortgage rates or long-term bond rates that they can get uh, interest on an investment. And those long-term rates will move in anticipation of the next Fed move. So when we call them bondos, when the folks in the bond trading desks, when they decide, oh, the Fed's next move is down, at that point, long-term interest rates will begin to decline even before the Fed has actually done anything. And uh, mortgage rates are in an unusual situation. I think they're going to start easing off like right now, but it's not going to be a big dramatic change and it's not going to back to the 3% mortgages that we had a couple yeah, I mean, I think mine's still around two and a half. It's some ridiculous, <laughs> inexpensive number, which I love. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Bill Connerly. He's an economist, and uh, he has a wonderful newsletter, which you can you can get. We'll tell you about that at the end of the program here, about how people can see your work, which is well-publicized by my take, because it's in magazines here in the Puget Sound region that I read. So, okay, so you mentioned bonds. I mean, a, a very horrible year for bond investors last year. What do you think they're overlooking perhaps about with interest rates this year, what that could mean to the bond market in a general sense? Oh, yeah. What what are investors overlooking? Yeah. I mean, what, pe- uh, what aren't people paying attention to? Because I think many people were surprised with long-term bonds that lost over 20% in 2022. Um, now the yields are, of course, much higher, but you're still in a kind of a weird spot with interest rates, aren't you? Because if you believe that they're going to hold around this rate for 2023 and then go down next. It's it's hard. I I don't play, as you know, the markets this way. We believe in a buy and hold strategy. I still own bonds. I'm going to hold them for a long time. But our people, the bond market has a way, as you pointed out, sort of anticipating these things before the the investor might find out. Would that be a more correct way to put it? Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to put it. And I am like you. I don't go changing my portfolio allocation based on my economic forecast. And for that reason, I don't spend a lot of time talking to investors because I don't pretend to be able to actually predict every wiggle, whether it's stocks or bonds. But to tell you the truth, uh, if you gave me a written exam uh, a couple of years ago, I would have said, yes, I believe that a person my age should own some bonds. But did I own many? No. Just because when the interest rates are that low, I can't bring myself to take the medicine. It's just 
too painful to 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 buy securities with such low yields. Now though, uh, it's getting um, looking better. And when I was doing my end of year uh, rebalancing of the portfolio, I'm like, okay, I've been light on bonds. Let's let's buy some bond funds. And I think it's maybe time. And I don't worry too much about whether they're going to go up or down in the next year, but I like the diversification that the bonds provide. And if I'm right that bond rates are going to go down in the next year or two, then there'll be capital gains in addition to the, uh, the income. So those are the things to think about. You know, basically, I have bought into the same philosophy that you have except sometimes I drag my feet if I don't quite want to make the change that um, I should. And you mentioned a good point. I mean, bonds are a very different security than stock. So by owning the two, you do have some diversification there. I think the other one, doctor, that people really want to know about because so many people are involved in it is real estate. Now, I own a home. I have no plan of moving um, I love living here. It's it's a it's a lifestyle thing. And I never even when the market went up so dramatically, basically a year ago, watched my neighbor sell his for more than I ever thought was possible. But I never I, it wasn't and I, I didn't try to anticipate that or, or, or sort of cash in, if you will. But if I was someone who had a home and I was getting a little older and I was thinking maybe it's time to sell it. Is 2023 going to be a good time to be a seller or a better time to be a buyer of real estate? Well, the best time to buy real estate was obviously in the summer of 2020. Uh, I hope that's useful to everybody listening. That helps this a is, lot, sure. This yeah. is what you should have done a couple of years ago. Uh, interest rates came down and home prices had not yet risen. Now we're in the situation where if you look at the, the trend of home prices across the country, we are about 25% above that trend. So, you know, home prices are still high. They're edging down a little bit, but they're still high. And mortgages, you know, at six and a half percent are not the great deal that they were a couple of years ago. And that's why home sales are are soft. But what I would tell somebody who's thinking about selling a house, you know, lifestyle change, for instance, would be the same advice I'd give to a, a young family thinking about buying a house which is don't do not try to time the market instead say hey is this the right the right property the right decision in terms of whether it's a buy or a sell uh do the numbers work out at today's price and interest rate and uh, so i encouraged my son uh, he was ready to buy his first house last summer and yeah mortgage rates were high the home prices were high but he could afford it it was a good house for his long-term plans. So, you know, pull the trigger. Our lives match up. My son bought his first house last summer. So uh, <laughs> still needs a lot of work too. I keep saying, when are you going to start on all that? I'm going to wait till this summer for that. So we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, interesting. Yeah. And he got, I thought he got a fair deal, but who, who the heck knows? I mean, the other number that I'm, I'm fascinated by, and I think you alluded to this in Again, in your wonderful biz, biz, am I saying this right? Bizonomics. Yes. Is that how you say? Okay, yeah, Bizonomics, yeah. which you can get, by the way, at your website. Go ahead and give the address since we're talking about that anyway. Yes, it's connerlyconsulting.com. And the easiest way is just to write 
that as two words and let Mr. Google get you to the destination because Mr. Google knows all the ways my name is misspelled. So Connerly Consulting and uh, the website there has a place for writing and newsletter and a sign up button. And I, as I said, I see it in local publications. But the other, this is a number that surprises me to some extent, and I think in, in, in your notes you, you mentioned this as well, and that is we're reading about all these huge layoffs. I mean, Microsoft is laying off people, Amazon is laying off people, Alphabet, Google, whoever you want to call them. Big tech firms are laying off pretty sizable numbers, and yet the unemployment rate is still I, I can't say historically low, but pretty doggone low. When do we see that sort of bottom out and start to head up? And will that have a big, will that have a, as you said, a ripple effect on the economy, sort of slow down buying and those kind of things? Well, when we look at the actual number, um, the best metric, and anybody can access this fairly easily, is initial claims for unemployment insurance. So the first week somebody's off the job, that person applies for unemployment insurance. And I monitor that. It's a good leading indicator. And it's actually been going down. So fewer first-time claims for unemployment insurance. So to me, that says the economy is doing well. The layoff announcements precede the actual layoffs. There's a law that says you have to hey, give people some advance warning. So we're probably going to get some layoffs. But what I'm also hearing I do some business coaching with companies and I try to talk to a lot of business leaders about what they're seeing. Uh, they're telling me that it is easier to hire now than it had been. It had been a very tough market, but now companies that had persistent vacancies are saying we're fully staffed. It was easy to find the last people. So I think people's attitudes about work are changing the stimulus checks are way back in the past, and inflation has tightened some budgets, so more people are going to work. I think what we are going to see is uh, more layoffs and uh, finally a decline in employment. It will certainly hit people, but that's going to happen gradually. The first things that companies do when they want to tighten their belt is they cut their empty positions. A position, an open position that some manager is trying to hire, and the, the the senior people say, "Don't hire that open position." That doesn't change anybody's income because nobody was making that money. The next thing they do is they lay off people, but many many of the people who have been laid off have walked across the street to a company with a lot of open positions. So that's one of the reasons why I think the recession will be delayed. You know, the newspaper headlines make it sound like it happens tomorrow, but I think it's going to be delayed towards the end of this year or early next year. We're talking with Dr. Bill Connerly here on Talking Real Money. Um, it does bring to mind one other trend, that something that certainly happened since the COVID outbreak in the spring of 2020. I showed up at a youth soccer game to referee last Sunday. It was pouring rain. And I asked the coaches if it was okay if I worked from home. Uh, which they, they, they thought was funny, uh, didn't work out that time. But, but I mean, does this, you know, a little higher unemployment, the economy change, does this change the, the work from home trend? Some major companies, as you know, have already said, you got to come back to work. Others are still doing a hybrid. I think ours is still three in the office, two at home, very typical. But do you, is that, is this the new normal now? If I use, you can use that expression, is this where we're going to be for a long period of time? Or do you see that changing as the economy changes? 
Yeah. Oh, and did you get all the calls right? I got them all right. You know, I blow the whistle real loud from my home. It's warm here. It doesn't get wet. It's really good. I'm, I'm all. I have over been it. the fan on the sidelines trying to give the referee a, lot of help, a little I'm bit sure. of help. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that we are in this awkward phase of we're trying to figure it out. And some managers are saying, I want people back into the office. Uh, a lot of people do not want to come back into the office. And when it's a tight labor market, and the manager says, you must come into the office, the manager loses employees, and then the work doesn't get done at all. I think that some managers imagine that if a person is in the office, the person is working. But uh, you and I have been in enough office environments to know that being in the office staring at a computer screen does not mean you're working. So what companies really need to do is focus on measuring productivity. How much are people actually accomplishing? And there are some folks around who are working remotely at two full-time jobs, but they're not working 80 hours a week. They're getting each job done in 20, 25 hours a week. Neither of their bosses know that there is a different job there being done, but the production is is reasonable for the manager's perspective. Uh, and instead of asking, are people putting in hours, we should ask, are people getting the work done? I think that there's a lot to be learned and things are going to change. But I think the hybrid model where people are open to for office work, uh, remote work, I think that is going to be persistent because there are a lot of people who think uh, my 30-minute commute each way uh, is not a good use of time relative to just going downstairs and sitting down at a laptop. I never thought about the employee who has the two full-time jobs. Now you're scaring me. I'm going to go to the <laughs> office and start checking with people to make sure, wait, you're not working there too. That's kind of an odd, uh, odd idea. Uh, let's look in your crystal ball a few more years out here. Now I am in my mid sixties. I'm planning on working another five years full-time. I like the work. It's not impossible. I, it, I I work hard, but I enjoy it all. And, and I really don't see that changing. But where do you imagine, and I know this is a ways out, but do we work our way back to, we, we had the spike in interest rates. Hopefully we get back to the 2%. And do we have sort of longer term growth that looks good in your mind or the demographics, uh, old guys like me going to have a big impact on the economy in the long haul? Yes, I am optimistic about the overall economy. I think the Fed is committed to bringing inflation down to 2%. And we know that economies with low inflation tend to have relatively steady growth. It's the economies with high inflation that go boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. So I am optimistic about fairly steady growth in the out years, you know, the 2025 and beyond. The biggest business challenge will be demographics, that uh, the geezers are retiring. And I have a chart that I call the scariest chart for business, which shows the working age population. And we this decade, from 2020 to 2030, will have the lowest growth of the working age population since the Civil War. Which is going not, back a ways, by the way, for those of you who are yeah, uninformed. Yeah, I mean, that's a few years ago. That's even before my time. <laughs> Me too. And, and, uh, uh, and, and that's not 
even a, some weird percentage calculation. That's just millions of people added to the working age population. So I think companies will, are getting a little bit of reprieve from the tight labor market. But for years, business leaders are going to have to focus on how do I get the most productivity from my people? How do I do employee retention? And how do I do employee recruiting? Because anybody with a vision of growing their company is going to have the challenge, do I need more people in order to grow the company? And if the answer is yes, you're going to be stealing them from somebody else because we're not growing enough working age people to populate company offices. And my big worry is, are there going to be enough of them to pay my social security? That's the rest of it. I, that's their problem. I look at the employment thing, but I want enough. I was trying to keep this happy and you bring up social security. (laughs) Yeah. We're not going to get into that today because that's too big of an issue. But uh, as I always tell the the young people in my office, you keep working and keep putting it into that. So I get the other, other stuff coming out. What a pleasure to catch up with you, uh, uh, Dr. Connolly. It's been a long time. Again, as he mentioned, you can go learn more about his wonderful work. You could have him come and speak. Uh, you go look at his great uh, charts and graphs and just all you do is type in Connerly Consulting. I, I'm going to say it here. I had it wrong with two ends. It's one end. Connerly Consulting, as he said, Mr. Google will find you from there. Thank you very much for being part of this, uh, this very interesting and informative uh, Talking Real Money. It's been a pleasure. Great chatting with you. And thank you for all the great information you provide all the time. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.